0: The book dream inside you cannot wait. Never before have so many people questioned, what do I really want to be doing? For a lot of us, that means writing a book. Long deferred dreams, pandemic pause, and the solitude to make them happen means the time is now. The mechanics of book writing can seem mysterious, but they can be broken down, as can the logistical minefield of getting published. You need skills of the craft, but also practical advice from experts who've navigated the path. What's the arc to becoming an author? The value and peril of agenting, conducive editors, the formats to publish and ways to promote. We'll speak with writers, agents, editors, teachers, coaches, publicists, publishers, resources, and guides to navigate the way for those of us brave enough to bring our story to life. Drop in to your book dream and begin to make it real. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey.
1: Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's four twenty-two twenty-two, 22 and Earth Day, time to do something nice for the planet. Think of what you can do, plant something on the windowsill, or better yet, join forces and see what happens in your community, like our guest today, Laurie Snyder, does with Writer's Happiness Movement. I'll read you its mission statement. Uh, the Writer's Happiness Movement grew out of wanting to live in a world where happiness kindness, inclusion, and creativity matter, where those are the things that build the foundation for everything else. It's based on the belief that we, as writers and humans, as individuals and as community, have the complete power to create this world in a way that is inclusive, accessible, and sustainable, and that supports every single one of us in being who we are and writing what we write. Welcome, Lori Snyder. Great to have you with us.
2: Hey, Diane, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have
1: you. And I thought um, we'd sort of establish, uh, because yesterday I was listening to The Circus at the End of the Sea, which is your book uh, published by HarperCollins last year. And I I just thought I'd I'd like to talk about her, uh, Maddie, the main character. I'd like to talk about the book. Um, because it sort of builds a foundation um, on, you know, what you're doing with writer's happiness movement. Um, if that's okay with you, um, your character Maddie, she's being pulled towards something, and she doesn't know what. She is experiencing magic, um, and it's a magic that's unacknowledged unack- by others. Um, she doesn't have any way to find a home because she's. She's being put in a group home um, and she is befriending um, in the kindest way possible um, another girl in the same situation. You are a fourth grade teacher among other interesting careers you've had. I wondered how this subject matter developed for you, how it relates to the notion of kindness and happiness
2: that you promote with your movement. I love this question so much. Thank you. First of all, thank you for listening to the circus at the end of the sea. That book is the book of my heart and the philosophy and the way of seeing the world that's encapsulated in that book is very much the same philosophy that is encapsulated in the writer's happiness movement. So I I actually got kind of giddy chills while you were talking about what you saw in there. And I thought, Oh, she's so good. So, so, Thank you. I have, I have definitely, just like Maddie in the book, so the book is a middle grade fantasy adventure in which the main character, Maddie, who has lived in group homes her whole life, she doesn't really have a home. She's being transferred to a new group home. She's always seen this magic in the world that other people, kids and adults both, have not seen. And on her way to this new group home, the bus breaks down mysteriously, and she's basically given this invitation to step into a world of magic, which is what she does, because it's what she's always wanted. And that, that piece of Maddie is very much based on me. And for as long as I can remember, I've had this sense that there is so much more to the world than most of us see. And mm-hmm. to me and my sensibility, that sort of translates into both magic, but also in the things that we're each able to do and how we can switch our perception around to see the things that are beautiful and are magic in the world, even in the midst of acknowledging The things that are terrifying and sad, and that they are not, in fact, separate from each other. They're all part of this whole, and we can still hold on to our own magic and our own joy, really, while being a fully engaged and active member of the world, working to reimagine the world and working to make change. So it very much ties into, I have this incredibly strong belief that an individual person can, in fact, change the world and that none of us are helpless. And it, it ties very much into that.
1: Absolutely. And Maddie, she has a window. And through this window, it's almost a window that we need to integrate into ourselves in order to, as you say, you know, deal with the world, but also keep our flame alive, keep the inspiration alive. And I'm going now right to Joseph Campbell and, and going to ask you, because I, I felt it listening to, to Maddie, um, just just the question of, of how it is that stories like this, um, you know, you, you talk about how as a fourth grade teacher, you, you loved reminding kids how courageous and powerful they already are, um, how much agency they have over their own choices in education, as you say, the ability to create our world. How is it that stories like this do more to instill courage in us than reading about something like how to be courageous. Um, stories <laughs> do something, right? What, how is it for you? I mean, how do you realize that?
2: We are so hardwired to love story. I mean, the minute someone says, once upon a time, or the minute someone says, let me tell you a story, we all lean in. We're like, oh, a story. And so the way I feel about it is stories well told have this core of truth that we all as humans recognize and latch onto. And it doesn't matter what kind of story it is. This can be, you know, fiction. It can be nonfiction too. A well-told nonfiction story can also do that for us. For those of us who resonate toward, like I resonate very much toward, the fantastical and speculative and science fiction and those kinds of worlds. And for those of us who resonate towards that, we have this, I I think we have this very innate sense that that a story about something that I'm gonna say can't possibly happen, but of course there's a little piece of me that's like, of course that can happen. That guy you could see magic any moment. But stories that that go into the fantastical there's this part of us that knows that's talking about the magic that is real that exists in the world. There's part of us, I think, that can see what is actually in front of us better when it's presented in this, this form of this magical story where we recognize our own hearts and our own emotions. And so, to me, stepping into story that way offers this sometimes broader perspective than reading a book on how to be courageous, which I also love. I love those books. I read those books all the time, Mm -hmm. but they don't often emotionally reach in and, and like, I I was going to say reach in and grab your heart, but it's more like reach in and caress you and say, here you are, here's where you are. This is where you live. And that to me is what a good story can do.
1: It's a sense of belonging, right? When you're drawn in and Maddie, she's dealing with a sense of belonging and, and not belonging Um, Of course, I I wondered, you know, what had informed you um, and your writing on that? Was it your experience as a teacher, you know, in seeing, um, you know, nine, ten-year-olds in your class? uh, You know, did did that help inform you to draw the character of Maddie, or where does she come from?
2: Um, Maddie is a mix of, of course, a little bit of myself. I very much... Did not know where I belonged. I'm not going to say quite at that age, but a little older through adolescence, as I think a lot of us weren't quite sure where we belonged. I really did not know where I belonged. What my physical home didn't feel like, I don't mean the house I grew up in, just where I was living and the people I was surrounded with didn't feel like the right place for me. And I didn't know where that was. And it was a little bit of a search to find it. And so a big piece of Maddie comes from that, from me. And I also, I really wanted to write a strong, courageous female main character who also was a little quiet and didn't like attention because I find that in a lot of books for kids, there's all these fantastic, strong female characters, but they're usually really outspoken and not shy and very happy to sort of step into their own selves and there aren't as many strong female characters or girl characters who, who don't really like attention and, don't, and are more internal and maybe more introverted. And so even though I am actually quite extroverted, I have the strong introverted side. And I really wanted to write a character like that where even if she goes through her adventure that requires her to have some attention and to step into being a little bit more of a leader um, without giving away any spoilers... Even though she goes through that adventure, she's still herself at the end. She's still someone who doesn't really like to be the center of attention. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to actually close out the book while letting her stay who she was took a lot of revision and a really good writer's group. A lot of revision and a really good writer's group. Right. And then there I
1: sense you know, the community, the spirit that, you know, buoys you and keeps you going writing um, a project like this where there is nuance. I mean, let's face it, if someone's having questions of belonging, they're not going to they're going to feel kind of self-conscious because it's a little awkward to kind of not know where your home is and not know really, you know, in adolescence who you are. What do you uh, represent, stand for? Um, you know, especially when you feel that like cognitive dissonance or just that sort of separation from the identity of your parents to you, like, how do I fit in? And so when you don't fit in, you're you're really not necessarily wanting to draw the attention towards you because you're trying to work things out. Um, I found like the character of Maddie to be helpful in terms of working things out out. Um, and I'm really glad to, to, to find out that you have found um, a home, a spiritual home in Venice, California. It so, sounds so wonderful. I'm going to give our listeners just a, a tiny, I'll give them the succinct bio, okay, Laurie? Um, in an alternate universe, Laurie R. Snyder is a circus performer, probably an aerialist wearing a lot of glitter. In this universe, She's had many different careers, none of which sadly are circus related. Marine biologist, fourth grade teacher, dancer, yoga teacher, and studio owner, book editor in writing. Um, Venice Beach is one of the great loves of her life as our kindness delight, the sea, and the circus at the end of the sea is her love letter to all of those. Lori is also the founder, as we said, of Writer's Happiness Movement, which offers free happiness tools to writers At writershappiness.com. Well, these other careers, they are an attempt at seriousness, right? Like you did try to be a grown up,
2: (laughs) right? Um, Well, you know, in my way of trying to be a grown up, I would say yes, but that was actually never front and center in my mind. What was front and center in my mind is. I find this to be really interesting. I think it's going to help the world. I'm going to love doing it. And it pays me just enough to squeak by. So I'm going to do it.
1: Right. And this is the thing that I thought was contagious about Maddie um, and the Circus at the end of the sea. You, you write um, the. I mean, because I think the happiness of you as an author, uh, and we'll get into the fact that th- there's a trope, right? And you address this. Uh, in the website, there's a trope that an author should be like a miserable person, like a, an artist should be mm-hmm. tortured, struggling, uh, miasmic depressed all, all kinds of things but I think here's here's what I loved um, here here's you talking about um, you know writing this book at last um, you i, I wasn't going to write a single word that didn't delight me if it didn't delight me, it was gone and this is immensely helpful in every step of the way because I well, I did have to cut some parts that that delighted me, but didn't end up working with the story. There is nothing in the book that I don't love. Um, now, I, I'm just you know, your writing to delight myself was well, mostly a delight. Well, could, good for you to to cr- create delight in in both your world and the world. Um, why do you think we're so opposed to it? Uh, It
2: seems like such a good thing. This is such a good question. This is a question that has actually been very front and center in my mind since from a very young age, because I was born kind of hardwired to see the world differently, like I think a lot of us who write are. And because of the particular way I saw the world, my family and a lot of people around me kind of assumed I didn't understand how bad things were when in reality I always really understand and still understand how bad things are. I'm like, again, like a lot of us, I am really, I used to say overly sensitive. And now I just say I'm really hypersensitive and that to me is a strength that helps me do the things I do in the world. Mm -hmm. And I feel what is going on in the world very deeply, very, very deeply. It does immobilize me at times like it does everybody. And I also have this very strong other side where there's so much beauty. I mean, it's great. We're doing this on Earth Day because I'm just sitting here looking out a window where I get to look at a saltwater lagoon and trees and it's beautiful. And I'm in the middle of Los Angeles. I'm in a city. So it's like there's buildings all around here, but there's this beautiful piece of nature that just looks magical. How does this even exist in Los Angeles? So, so I, I've always been somebody that sees that. I love people. I absolutely love people. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. And mostly what I see in people is what I think is the heart of people, which is the goodness that's there. And so I think because it is also so true that there's so much both systemic and other horribleness in the world. And right now it's a particularly good example of all that of rising to the surface. It's not new. None of this coming up is new. This has been here for our entire history, and yet it is really in our faces for a lot of us right now. It is really blatant, and, and we are happily, I think, shining a light on it more so we can truly make some deep systemic changes moving forward and reimagine how things can be. But there's this sense that if you're not upset, hurt, outraged all the time, you can't be a serious human being. And there is a bit of truth to that. It's I don't I, I do in fact carry a bit of outrage with me all the time, and a, a dose of sadness with me all the time. That is part of being human and being aware and sensitive in the world. And to me, when we're looking at what I think of as true happiness, it allows for that because it's a deeper place inside of us. Mm-hmm. But maybe yeah, has our world? Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, I I was just going to say, maybe it's part of our essential nature.
2: I believe it is. And and I believe, you know, so much beautiful art comes from anger and depression. And I'm not saying you have to be in this wonderful, joyful state to write or create art. Not at all. Uh, Those emotions are powerful and they connect us and they lead to gorgeousness and innovation and really cool things. Lots of amazing things come out of those emotions as well. For me, I function better when I, step into the place inside of me that holds delight and happiness. And I've had to contend my whole life with people, you know, I'm female. I look really young. I always looked really young for my age. So I would go into a business meeting and people would say, oh, she's 12. What is she doing here? Mm-hmm. And, and I've always, I've always um, had to sort of contend with people, assuming because I, I do tend to present as mostly pretty happy and I'm female and I look young. I've, I've had to contend most of my life with people wanting to pat me on the head and saying, oh, that Laurie, she doesn't understand what's really happening. Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting to me because I feel like I have a deeper understanding than, than they often do. Because right. I, I, I feel like seeing past the surface into... into um, You can call it our essential nature, with also a really deep understanding of how our systemic issues shape that, because we're not all the same in how we grew up in this world. We're not all the same in what we've had to deal with. And those things are very real. And to discount them is discounting the material world in which we live as well.
1: You know, I think the fact that alienation comes up and um, not feeling connected um, with what's going on in the world at large compared with how we live our, our daily lives. Um, you know, there is a balance here, an inner outer balance. Part of it is, you know, a coping mechanism. Um, we're, we're gonna pause for a short break here, but when we come back, I'd really like to keep talking about how, you know, we it's it's really getting better understood now that, you know, the more stuff that happens, Let's say negative stuff in the world; those things um, make us even more sensitized. Like we're, it's like we're getting sanded, sanded. You know, we're getting more raw. And this, mm-hmm. I, the, so so the idea of going towards a place of joy, or of connecting with nature, being inspired; those moments and lingering in those moments becomes all the more important. So um, you know we have an expert here on how to live joyfully. I'm sure you've been dismissed for it n- any number of times, but we can obviously see that you are a very concerned um, and caring human being, otherwise the Writer's Happiness Project movement wouldn't exist. So uh, we're gonna take a commercial break here. And when we come back, we'll continue talking with Lori Snyder. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press serving men and women it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019 She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on shewritespress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at diane that's diane at diane now back to dropping in welcome
1: back everyone we're going to drop in right now to the subject of happiness and its function as a coping mechanism basically um, you know people if you're paying attention to the news and a lot of people have wisely tuned it out but for those of us that can't escape it um you know, there is a sense of depression right now. Uh, we're here with Laurie Snyder, who's written a book that will certainly lift you out of that right away, uh, The Circus at the End of the Sea, uh, with her character, Maddie, who is eminently lovable. Um, but I, there's something in the air now, Laurie. Uh, I read last night um, a post um, from a friend of mine's uh, Instagram Um and it's, 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 it's pretty typical, I think. It's Okay, I'll just read it. I don't know how it's going for you, but lately when I should be working on my projects in progress, um, she's, she, she works uh, in the area of disaster relief, um, secondary trauma. Um, I find myself instead burning an hour looking at pretty dresses online. When I should be writing about disenfranchised grief, I find myself instead calling my friends so we can talk about how we're going to dance and eat cake, um, and it turns out that that's not only forgivable; it's it's healthy and necessary. So we're now referring to the psychologist and author <clears throat> Rick Hansen, who says the mental experience of stress, especially if it's chronic and moderate to severe, which we're in now. We're you know several years into a pandemic. We've got a war going on in in Europe. Um, <clears throat> we've got lots of. Problems, issues, climate change, Earth Day, here we are. Um, so, okay, we've got chronic to moderate stress. It gradually changes the structure of the brain, so we become progressively more sensitive to stress. The brain is very good at learning from bad experiences, but bad at learning from good ones. So, good experiences kind of right bounce right off the brain. Meanwhile, bad experiences sink right in. Um, so... What this means is your brain needs your help to make the good experiences sit, sink in, like to amplify them. It needs you to have fun, to experience and savor joy so that you don't forget how, literally, uh, because otherwise it's overshadowed. So when something good does happen, when you realize you're enjoying yourself, when you have an opportunity for fun or joy, seize it, savor it, stay in it as long as you can. This is from Kelly Caldwell. Dean of the Faculty at Gotham Writers Workshop. I just went right to you and your project and your book, Laurie Snyder, when I read this, because somehow you are a person who has given themselves permission to experience joy and and encourage it in others, let alone writers. Um, How's it going? Um,
2: how, How are people receiving it? Uh, do you mean in terms of the book or in terms of the writers' happiness movement or in terms of all of it?
1: Well let's shift to the let's shift to the writer's happiness movement. But I think vis-a-vis the book always, because the book to me is a character who exemplifies um a lot of the things we ne- we need to do. See the magic, you know, kind of walk through the window.
2: Thank you. Um yes. So I'll just just answer for the book really quickly because I think this is an important thing for writers to know. As anyone who has been published knows, when your book goes out in the world, you kind of have no idea what's happening with it for a a good year out or so when you start getting royalty statements. And even then, you're not really sure because bookstores can return books. So in terms of what's happening as far as how it's being received sales-wise, I have no idea. I do get really lovely emails and even a couple of snail mails from kids who have read it and emails mostly from adults who have read it that have said uh, kind of exactly what you're saying, which I'm so grateful for, because writing the book, what I hoped is some of my delight would get onto the page and go out into the world and give tools to people and especially kids who might be facing things that are really difficult. So getting those are really delightful. And in terms of the writer's happiness movement, So the Writer's Happiness Movement was conceived as a way to not just completely support any writer who wants to write through things that deal with uh, boosting up our own selves and our own confidence and our own hearts. Things like free online yoga and I do free online retreats for writers that are modeled after my in-person retreats, which of course aren't happening right now. Uh, there's a monthly writer's salon. In fact, last night, we just had a writer's salon about creative confidence, which ties right into that post that you read and how so many of us are struggling to write right now. I'm in that boat too. I'm working on a second book that I have blown past three deadlines on and now I have a fourth deadline I'm determined to meet. And it is really hard right now. It is really hard, particularly because I started this book pre-pandemic and like all of us, I was a different person
0: than mm-hmm. I am now.
2: And so... So, I also struggle with the same things that I think all of us struggle with in this time right now, which is extraordinarily difficult. And at the same time, I hope to be able to offer things for myself and for the world that shifted a little bit. And the response to writer's happiness has been pretty phenomenal. Honestly, I launched it right before the pandemic hit. I did not intend for it all to be online. I always knew there would be an online component of it, but I intended to start in person because that's what I know how to do, and then learn how to do online things. So I launched in February of 2020. Here in LA, we went into lockdown in March, uh, mid-March of 2020, and right away I was like, "Okay, I guess learning how to do things online is what has to happen right now. I guess this is someday, so let me learn." And mm-hmm. The response has been fantastic. There have been, it's spread really beautifully. There's a big core group of writers who show up for things. I get a lot of people writing in to say that it's helping them right now. And that just is the thing that, that's the thing that feeds me because it's not a big um, financial support for me at all. In fact, it's a drain at the moment, but it is, it is what I feel is my thing to be doing in the world.
1: Absolutely. And you have a lot of street cred. Uh, Laurie, for being an author yourself, blowing past deadlines. These are things, you know, well, this is reality, uh, folks. And, um, you know, and, and, and feeling the need for support, feeling the need for more support, needing to open up in the morning, uh, you know, your, your laptop and, and seeing something or, you know, do something that gives you the oomph that you need, because we need a lot of extra oomph. Uh, just to kind of get through and to create focus and i think you talk about how happiness you know is central to being able to write i was thinking about this a lot last night the if you're not if you're fundamentally not happy or can't find the balance let's say you you really can't write a character that's coming from a place other than your own state of mind right because you're you're tending to your own woundedness, you're tending to your own hurts, your difficulties, your challenges, you're kind of preoccupied. So if you're not able to find that balance um, that you, you know, help with in the in the the writer's happiness movement, then you you become paralyzed, right? You you kind of help people move off the mark as it as it were. How did it work out last night with the salon and do you feel emboldened and and does the support actually work and how can we be a part of it all those questions there's five right there
2: for you (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is so fabulous those are all fantastic so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to go through all of them so first i i while it is true that we all write from our own lens just like we see the world from our own lens somebody who's just not feeling happy at all people like that still write beautiful works of art. And so anybody out there who's not feeling great right now, first of all, I get it. This is, I get it. And second of all, whatever you are creating is going to be spectacular anyway. So for me, it's more, um, it's more about how do we remember who we are? Because there's some sadness, there's some deep sadnesses and some grief and trauma that is inherent to who we are or that, that is our natural reaction to what is happening in the world. And then there's some that we pile on top of that, that maybe isn't the part of who we are. And so I feel like when we can get to the depths of who we are, it's not, I mean, I do think there's sometimes still going to be maybe sadness there and for some people, and there's going to be maybe lots of joy for some people. And there's hopefully whatever it is, though, there's going to be a sense of peace with it and that we can integrate those things into a kind of deep happiness that isn 't dualistic it 's not happy versus sad it 's this is the totality of the world in myself, and within it I find peace and I find joy because i 'm at peace so so that 's the first bit of it um, and see now i 've forgotten all your other questions <laughs> well i mean okay. i 'm so excited about that one yeah, no, I mean I think
1: that's I think the cool part um, that i I brought from what you just said is like you know the idea that you can still create beauty even if you're in a kind of relatively uh, gray mindset. You know, you are able to maybe even create an outlet for yourself um, as a writer that is that takes you out of your, you know, your, your bummer zone. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it with you, um, you know, writing Maddie and writing the sequel. Um, does writing fiction, do you think um, – enable you because it's more of, sorry, this gets a bad rap, a fantasy world, um, you know, can it take you out of that zone?
2: I think so. I think anything can take anybody out of that zone because we're all so different. But I know for me personally, fiction and fantasy particularly can really let me step away from my preconceived notions of how the world is because I'm stepping into somebody else's world they've built. And while things that aren't fantasy are also a world someone's built, I know the rules of my real tangible world, and so I project them onto any real tangible world I am reading about. When I step into a fantasy world or a science fiction world or any speculative fiction, I let go of what I know about the world and I let the author tell me what they know about the world I'm in. So for me, it does definitely help me widen my worldview and recognize what are assumptions I've made about living that maybe aren't true, That I don't even know there's assumptions because I think it's just the way things are. But Mm -hmm. in fact, it's it's something that other people see differently. So I, I really find that fiction and fantasy particularly can do that
1: it's like a relativity. You find out your worldview is only relative because you create another one. And, and that's really interesting. Um, so now I've, I've sort of remembered what I asked before, and that is um, how to become a part of the writer's happiness movement um, and, and also maybe, you know, contribute to it. It's something that should be, I think, sustainable. How do people go about reaching you, reaching out, reaching into it. Um, I think I, I think I'm on now your, yes, I am. I'm on your mailing list, but how do people get in touch and become a part of it?
2: Thank you for asking that. The the writer's happiness movement, all you need to do to be part of it is sign up for the mailing list. Um, And once you're on the mailing list, you get to choose which kind of mailings you like. There's lots of offerings that I give through the writer's happiness movement and not everybody wants all of them. So that, so that the, the general idea of the Writer's Happiness Movement is I really, truly believe that the world is better when everyone who wants to create any kind of art is able to do so. And in our world, that means emotional support to do so, community around you to do so, and financial support to do so. And so the Writer's Happiness Movement is designed to offer those three things. It's not just a little thing on this. It's not going to help you with, um, like craft workshops or finding an agent or editor, although people you meet in events might be able to help you with that. It's really more about this, this space of support that will help, hopefully, help writers get into the space where they can create. And so to join, the website is writershappiness.com. You will not find Writers Happiness very much on social media. The reason for this is that I personally... While social media does so many great things, I personally don't feel good when I use social media. And so I've decided I have to include myself in the happiness part of writer's happiness movement. And so I'm not doing it. So there's, there's not, there's other reasons as well. And I can get more into those later date if we want to. But, but the website is really the place to find it. And once you're on the mailing list, you will get notifications of things like I teach two free online general yoga classes a week. One's a half an hour of general yoga. One is 10 minutes of breath work, 10 minutes of gentle yoga, 10 minutes of guided meditation. These are geared specifically for writers. Um, they're also recorded and then put up on the website so people can watch them later if they want to. There's a monthly writer salon. Oh, that was a question too. There's a monthly writer salon. Last night was on creative confidence. It was a fantastic conversation because a lot of us are struggling with finding confidence in our own ability to create right now because of the trauma and stress everyone is under. It was just a free-flowing conversation kind of like this, but with a lot more people. So Mm -hmm. those happen monthly. There's a different topic and occasionally a guest on those. You'll get information about those once you're on the mailing list. Uh, Every few months, there's an online retreat. All these things are free. I offer all these things free. And the online retreat is basically writing time with daily yoga and meditation for writers that I lead, level one and level two classes, and an opening and a closing circle, And those are sort of modeled after the in-person writing retreats I did up till the pandemic, which will come back, I'm hoping, very soon. Yes. There's also, um, this is one of my favorite parts of the Writer's Happiness Movement. So right now, all I'm able to do in terms of financial support is offer what I call micro grants. These are tiny little grants of $25 cash that go to a writer who's been nominated by a friend. And the only requirements for the nomination is number one, that person you're nominating as a writer and number two, you think they're amazing. And there's a little place to write why you think they're amazing. And if they get selected, there's two of these that go out every month. If they get selected for a micro grant, I edit what you wrote. So I take out anything personal that they might not want in there, but I edit all the reasons you think they're amazing. And I send that to them in this beautifully designed art card by a dear friend, Lisa Acapenti, who's a spectacular visual artist and it goes to them with $25 cash and explanation of this is just a little grant to cheer a writer on. There's no strings attached, do whatever you want with it. And the note from their friend about why their friend thinks they're amazing. And so those go out twice a month. That's amazing. So, I, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think that's fantastic.
1: We, we do Thank have you. to. That's well,
2: really one of my favorite things. I think so
1: too, because that's make, that can make all the difference. Um, we have to pause here for a commercial break. We're speaking with Laurie Snyder, and um, I love this movement that you've created. Um, and there's nothing too small to make a difference, uh, and it isn't small at all. Um, considering um, you know the opposite of social media is personal contact, and we so we're suffering from a lack of that. You know, in all mm-hmm. in all ways um, from this pandemic, but also from social media. It's just too... Blanket. Um, and, you know, people reaching out um, and telling you you're spectacular can, can make all the difference in the world to whether you're able to take the next step with your writing uh, and with yourself. So, um, love speaking with you, Lori Snyder. I'm, we're going to pause for a commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about how movement and yoga and breathing and what they have to do with writing in the first place. Anybody who's gone to a writer's conference and sat there all day feeling like they've <laughs> gone into a fog knows this implicitly, but we're gonna talk about the dynamics of, you know, moving your body, moving your breath, and moving your mind and heart all at the same time. So don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
0: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit BooksForward.com or send us an email at info at BooksForward.com, a JKS communications company. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. you are listening to dropping in with Diane Dewey we'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show send us an email to Diane at diane com that's Diane at diane Deweycom now back to dropping in
1: welcome back everyone we're here with Laurie Snyder who is the founder of writers. Uh, <clears throat> Writer's Happiness Movement, and the website is writershappiness.com. Um, you talk about nourishing us as a writer and a human, Lori. Um, let's talk about how you define equity, the arts, and kindness, um, and and also how this is funded, how you provide resources for writers like workshops, Um, And through funding grants and residencies, how do you create this community?
2: Let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is the dollars. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) so important. And one of the big things when I was building Writer's Happiness Movement and, and coming up with the idea for it is I am so frustrated with the fact that in our culture, you need to have money to create art. Or to do it, I mean, everyone's working day jobs. Everyone has families and relationships. Often we're working two or more day jobs. When do we find the time to create if it's not paying us? You have to write an entire book before you can get an agent or an editor, and that can take years of time of saying no to things that you might need to be doing. So I think like a lot of us, I have for a long time been very clear that art and capitalism don't mix that well. And I wanted to build a system that was funded as much as I as much as I could where the foundation was kindness was equity was inclusion and was not scarcity greed and money really but of course I live in the society I need to somehow figure out a way to pay myself and to pay for all the technology I need to make this writer's happiness movement happen and so what I came up with, and this is the, the, what I think of as an alternative, open-handed economic system, the way that this is funded is that anybody who wants to be part of this vision of the world, a world that is really built on kindness and the arts and equity, can, if they want to and if they're able, can support it at $5 a month, which is the only set tier I have for patronage writers' happiness, partly because I have this vision of there being no hierarchy at all, even in the patron tiers. And usually, if you are a patron of an artist or something like that, there's different rewards you get for the different amount of money you pay, but I really didn't even want that to be part of it. I didn't want what people get to be tied to how much money they were able to give, because everything is offered for free. So the people who become patrons just want to support this across the board for writers. And Some people join at $5 a month. Some people have upped that. Some people have dropped it down to $1 a month. Some people jump on and give me for Writers Happiness quite a bit more than that. The vision for me right now, it really doesn't quite cover the expenses and it's getting pretty close to covering the expenses. I have about, there's about only, I think, 80 or 90 patrons right now for Writers Happiness. Mm -hmm. It's also fairly new and I've done zero. This is... I've really done very little of these things like talking about it because pandemic and like everybody, I went right into pandemic mode. So I'm just starting to get the word out about it. So it's been very word of mouth grassroots building up until really recently when I'm trying to talk more about it. And the vision is, is that down the road, there are enough patrons at $5 a month that I can start building things like residencies for writers, where we have a building where writers can go for one to four weeks, all expenses paid and money paid to cover their expenses at home so they don't have to worry about taking that time off if they're able to get it, where they can just be taken care of and write. That's funded completely by the Writer's Happiness Movement. The big goal I really want to move towards is I want to build retirement homes for writers because most writers I know we're not able to really save money for retirement. We don't work a standard job that has that benefit for us. Mm So the vision is retirement homes for writers where there's a live-in chef, there's maybe a live-in yoga teacher, that everything is taken care of that is funded by the Writers' Happiness Movement. And what I would, this is a really lofty goal, but the goal I have in my head is within five years from now, if there are 100,000 patrons, each at only $5 each, I can do these things.
1: Okay, well, I'm coming. And so there's that. And also, (laughs) Don't forget Bernie Sanders, for heaven's sake. How did he build such a grassroots movement? He's, he's so far in the rearview mirror now, it's quite sad. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's doable. It sounds lofty right now, but, you know, I love this idea that it is grassroots, that it's taken hold, and that you haven't done a thing to to promote it. Now we're actually talking about it. I tell you what I also think is one of the great benefits of this your vision, Laurie Snyder, is something that is going to encourage diverse voices. Problem being that if it takes a lot of money to write a book and be supported during that time to write a book, we're hearing from a certain part of the population. We're not hearing mm-hmm. from other folks. We're not hearing from all people who would like to be speaking and writing. So I think, you know, your, the writer's happiness movement. Has the potential, right, to engage like more voices, um, and how cool is that? Um, I, I, I mean, are you are you are you finding? Are you, I mean, it has to be so welcoming, to to for people to realize that there is this kind of support, and you know, why don't we even you know, residencies and 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 even you know, burdening? Why do we live? Why don't we live communally during that time so that we don't have to shoulder the whole expense? I mean, writers' conferences themselves can be a glamour, you know, glamping experience, um, as, as you probably mm-hmm. well, well know. I mean, a lot of these gateways are prohibitive to people. So is part of your vision then to garner more voices, different voices?
2: Absolutely. That's a huge piece of it. It is there's such an issue with, I think we've all heard about the issue that happens with gatekeeping in the industry and the predominance of people who are not people of color, who are gatekeepers, who are white. Um, But even beyond that, there's a, there's a, a socioeconomic bracket that happens that is very hard to find time to create when you're not over the certain level of financial stability. And, I, I, really, I really despise that those things are connected because we lose out on the richness of so many stories and so many voices. And one of the things I really wanted to make sure happened with the Writers' Happiness Movement was that not only is it accessible to everybody, but that as the writers coming in, there is nothing for you to do. It's not a community that comes together and builds this together. What it is is a community based around these values and people who write and then quite frankly, I'm the one who builds it all. I'm the one who does it all. So to me, I was like, I love doing these things. I know a lot of people that like, I know people that design co-living spaces. When I have the funds from writer's happiness to do that, I know who to go to, to make it happen. And so for me, the idea that people can come in, they can take advantage of what they want to and not take advantage of what they don't want to. It costs nothing. If you want to be a patron, fabulous. I'd love it. And if you don't fabulous, I'd love it. And Everyone is welcome, and you decide how much time or energy you do want to put into it. And if you get one thing out of it, that's great. If it helps you write in any way or feel better about your life, that is great.
1: Well, I also think um, you know not not only do I applaud you for this, uh, I, I, I also I, I also think about the the correlation about. You know, a kind of a systemic. You know, people who are who don't have access to the resources, who may be dealing with um, things like you know depression and you know anxiety, just based on their living circumstances. Um, you know, kids that you know are in school here that you know, you know, you, their primary. It's like the hierarchy of needs, right? They they're on basic security needs: mm-hmm. being in a, being in a safe home, um, having enough to eat. Um, And, you know, don't kid yourself, this is becoming more prevalent um, as much as we wanna pretend that the 1% is indicative, they are not. So, um, you know, I, I also think it's then a corollary to talking about the importance of that window that Maddie goes through. She's in a group home, in case you don't know, that's when you don't have a family. So it would be like a foster care kid before they're in foster care or they're in a group home. Um, this is a, an economically you know, disadvantaged situation, but she's able to tap into awe and wonder and magic. Um, and, and how, you know, now we've, we've started to understand, we talked about this last week on dropping in, that the area of the brain that, um, no, that would be vulnerable to depression and addiction, is the same area of the brain that when stimulated with awe, wonder, and magic, um, you know, supplants it. it. It's a counterbalance. It's an antidote to that. So how do you then go about convincing people of the importance of play, wonder, magic, yoga, the importance of moving your body, we actually only have a couple of minutes left. It's unthinkable. But how do you bring those elements in, you know, to, to an environment where sometimes you're, you're talking about really fundamental needs? Uh,
2: that is a great question. And I, I think the biggest thing is that I, I don't really try to convince anybody. We all have... I, I, I say, here's these things that I think are cool, and they've helped me, and I've seen them help other people. And if you want them here, they are for free. And if people want them, it's something inside that person calls to it, that's great. I personally, yoga and movement and breathwork have been really important to me. I've been teaching yoga for almost 20 years now and practicing for a lot yet longer than that. And I've taught in a myriad of, of situations and ages and um, to different kinds of people. And I find that pretty much without exception, people leave in a better state than when they arrived. And there's so many reasons for this that you know, we don't really have time to get into right now. But in terms of reaching people who are really in a difficult situation, that's it's hard. It's very Mm -hmm. hard. And I don't know if what I'm offering will get to people that are in that situation. I hope it does. I know right now it's probably not really reaching into those arenas, but my hope is, is that the word spreads about it that more and more people find out about it, it will start to creep into those places where these things aren't really heard about because there's a certain privilege to even being able to hear about something like this. And that is, that is only my, sad, that my only sadness of not using social media is that a lot of times social media can reach into those places that other things don't. So that is the only piece of not using social media that I struggle with a little bit. Okay. But we're
1: reaching people now and through uh, dropping in and Voice America Talk Radio, I just really feel, Laurie, that, you know, your um, statement on the website about happiness being power, about being away from greed and fear, it will trickle in. And if you don't try, we'll never know. So right now, I just want to thank you so much for being with us, Laurie Snyder. The book is Circus at the End of the Sea, by Harper, published by HarperCollins. The website is writershappiness.com and laurysnyderauthor.com. Thank you, Laurie.
2: Thank you so much, Dan. This was a pleasure.
1: It's been a wonderful joy for us as well. I think we learned a lot and, um, you know, gives that little wheel another push. Thanks also to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to Ryan Treasure, to our executive producer, Robert Giolino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and that happiness is power. Till next week, thank you for dropping in.
0: Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.